Welcome to the 34-Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the adventure, Take with, the adventure us. with us. With us. With us. With us. With us. With us. And welcome everyone to the 34 Circe Salon, the Parallax Channel, where we explore from the ancient world to the cosmos. My name is Sean Marlon Newcomb, and as always, I would love for you to go to your podcasting platform, leave us a lovely comment and a high rating, make us feel good and get this podcast out there further. Today, we're going to be talking about the classical world at the movies, the classical world in Hollywood and the 1966 comedy, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. And who better to chat about this with but the one, the only, Dr. Gary Stickle. Welcome, Gary. Hi. Great to be here. You don't have your usual raucous applause because we're having some technical difficulties, although the listener <laughs> may hear some lovely applause for you uh, anyway. So, Gary, we're going to talk about A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. What was your interest in the film? Why did you want to discuss this? Um, uh, what made you, uh, what attracted you to, to this movie? I, I also like it as well. So what did, uh, what made you want to talk about it? Well, we've uh, been doing a series on classical, you know, movies with classical themes. And this is the only one about ancient Rome that I'm aware of that's uh, uh, comedic and funny. Yeah, I mean, there are pieces in Mel Brooks' uh, History of the World, Part 1, where he has some stuff where you have Rome. And then also, you can say Life of Brian, uh, Monty Python's Life of Brian. Yeah, I is, guess so. Yeah, that's pretty right. much about uh, ancient Rome, although it's more about Jesus. It's uh, Or about the Jesus movement, as it would have been called then. Um, so this is, a, this is a fun one. So this was released in 1966. This had been a Broadway play. This had been a stage play, um, and uh, not uh, insignificantly, the uh, music was by Mr. Stephen Sondheim. So, uh, yeah. just an exception. <laughs> really, work. really great music. Yeah, it's great music, and and uh, clearly, this was uh, uh, one of his earlier earlier uh, pieces, compositions. He would have been in his thirties at the time, and it features some, well, features Richard Lester as a director, great director. And it features some amazing comedic talents, screen legends. Um, you have Zero Mostel, Jack Gifford, Phil Silvers is in it. And uh, you can't forget Buster Keaton, the great That's silent right. film star. So I believe this may have been his last film. Uh, it's I think so. Last, last, next, last. He died not long after that. Uh, yeah, I and think so. He did his stunt. He still did some of his stunts. He couldn't do all of his stunts. He liked to do all of his stunts because he was actually, that's how ill he was. But uh, he still did his pratfalls, if I'm not mistaken, in this film. So you get that last bit of, of uh, Buster Keaton magic in this movie. So why don't you uh, set up the plot for the listener and tell them what the story's about? Well, it's, it's uh, interesting that, when the theme music comes on at the beginning, you know, like the credits and so on, uh, <clears throat> Zero Mostel is singing the theme song. And uh, it's really a fun theme song. 
with lyrics like, you know, uh, something romantic, something pathetic, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Um, and, uh, and then right after he sings it, he starts talking about the plot. And he said it focuses on three houses and uh, the names of the men who own and live in the houses are fun because they're meant to be puns and so on. So he talks about the house of Erroneus and then the house of Lycus, um, which um, Phil Silvers has and, and, and it's a brothel. And then the house of Pseudolus, and in the house of, excuse me, the house of cynics, a cynic. And uh, in, in that house is the slave Pseudolus, uh, played by Zero Mostel. And so it, it has the interplay of those three houses throughout the film and just a, a lot of great stuff. So the puns on that. Now, one thing that was interesting about this film is that it it does follow a classical Roman pattern in terms of the types of characters he used. I mean, Roman comedy, there there was a, a big influence on the Renaissance uh, and Elizabethan writers, and a big influence on Shakespeare. A lot of the the Roman adaptations of the Greek comedies were what the what the Renaissance writers first encountered in terms of kinds of these classical comedies. And so you have in this story the same kinds of stock characters. You get this adolescent uh, young man, a young man in his late 20s, early te late teens, early 20s, who is falls in love with someone who may seem to be of an inappropriate class match because of the class-based Romans. Uh, he would have been expected to marry a woman of his own rank if he's a young aristocrat, so it's a young aristocrat typically. And it, he thinks she is maybe a woman of ill repute, but it turns out she's a freeborn um woman of his status so you get no, that she's actually a virgin but somehow she winds up in the in the phil silver's house you know which is a brothel but she apparently hasn't had sex yet right and the, and the thing is about the stock with this is that she has had sex yet but she's also freeborn she's also actually a freeborn woman so and we find that out again at the end it's in the little play the little twist on things but that's that's one of the Roman stock characters, the young man who falls in love with a woman who seems to be ill-matched for him because she's of the wrong background or class or whatever. And it turns out actually she is of the same background. So that's the happy accident that happens. They get married sort of thing. Uh, you've got the father, just like in this play, um, who, oh, I meant to, meant to mention that the young, the character, the young man, the character of hero, I didn't realize this until after I watched the movie, who it was. But it was Michael Crawford, a very, very young Michael Crawford, who many will oh, know wow. as the Phantom of the Opera. So he was the Phantom of the Opera uh, when it first uh, was played, and uh, but here he is as a as a just a young, you know, early twenties actor, and he plays the young yeah, man, very naive and so on. Exactly. Yeah, he plays the young man who falls in love. You've got the uh, the father, but then there's a there's a conflict because. Uh, a major character in the film is this Roman general, and he wants the girl. Yes, and the, the interesting thing about that is that is also a stock character in ancient Rome. So that kind of braggart Roman soldier, that kind of Roman official 
who's a braggart. So we have that. And then we find out later in the piece, something interesting about that. We'll get to that later, about uh, the relationship between the soldier who wants the girl and the girl herself. So we have that character. We have uh, the father who is um, in a very typically, I'll say, misogynistic kind of Roman, Greco-Roman way. He has a, you know, a wife who's, you know, is a scold towards him. Meanwhile, he wants to run in philander. And so in the Roman play structure, she's seen as the impediment to his good time, even though to us, he really should be true to his wife. So we have him and he's the father of the Michael Crawford character. So he ends up in his own kinds of hijinks. And you've got Phil Silvers as the slave to the young man's family, and he's going to try to... No, 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 help. Phil Silver's... The, I'm sorry, not uh, Phil Silver's. I meant Zero Mustel. Zero, Zero Mustel is a slave to the young well, man's well, family. Phil, he's going to try to get the son set up with them. And Silver's... Yeah, Phil Silver's uh, runs the brothel. You know? Yeah, the, well, we call him a pimp nowadays or whatever. Brothel owner. So it's that's kind of your setup. And then there's one other character, Jack Guilford, who plays another slave, kind of a hapless, gets caught in... I shouldn't say hapless. He, he's, he's sort of sharper, but he gets caught in the midst of all these things, uh, all these machinations. So, uh, an interesting, and so there, so it's a, it's a classical Roman setup. And I, that's, that's really what, smartly done. What's, what's interesting, it's supposed to be a suburb of Rome. And, uh, I have to say the, uh, the sets, the buildings and so on are very authentic looking. Uh, and the, uh, Costumes, for the most part, are very authentic, except for the Roman soldiers, you know, the general and his uh, centurions and men and so on. Uh, their uh, metal helmets are black, and they wouldn't have been black. They would either be silvery, you know, like stainless steel or bronze colored. Mm -hmm. I thought the same thing about the sets. I actually thought it looked so authentic. I thought they had gone to some, you know, Roman town, abandoned Roman town. Yeah, I did. Too. I did too. It was it was really really well done, and it's uh, it was shot in Spain, so just uh, uh, studios in Spain, and they made it look very real. And like you say, the costuming was very real, except for some of the things you point out. So it was um, it it was really nicely done in that sense. So from a histor from an historical standpoint, what did you think of that? Well, you know, I agree. I mean, I was very impressed with the uh, sets, and uh, and uh, I guess they fabricated them for the film, but uh, they did a great job. They made them really look lived in. You know, it wasn't, uh, you know, homogenized or whatever. Uh, and uh, also, they showed people and uh, old people or infirm people, uh, and, uh, you know, to make it. Uh, look as realistic as possible, I think. And uh, that, that was very interesting to me. Mm -hmm. You show people being treated, people being given massages. Um, and uh, it just added a interesting layer of uh, realism, even though the yeah. plot was veiny and fun and crazy, you know. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Cause it sounds like we're, we're making the town a lot more austere than it actually is. Uh, it's a it's a rollicking piece. Now, there are elements to it, and one should say, it, especially in the in the case of, of this podcast, where we have a 
uh, sister podcast called Make Matriarchy Great Again. And it is important to point out that there are inherited structures, some uh, Roman ancient notions of gender, so they can be seem a little misogynistic, uh, a little sexist, you know, especially when you get into the period where you're where you're going into the brothel scenes, you know, there's a there's an element of you know, looking at women as chattel. So that's there, but you know, yeah, given I, the context I of its think, time. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I yeah, don't think that film could be made today in the same way because uh the way the women of the brothel were depicted is they were happy to be there basically. And mm-hmm. that's the vibe I got. Uh, and yeah, uh, it's uh, very much so. It's very much the way they played it. And then the, uh, you know, the, the wife of Phil Silver, she's a real aristocratic woman and a bitch, you know? Yeah. And, that, and again, so she's not depicted. Character. And not depicted in a positive light. Uh, right. And so, it's, it's, it, it sheds light on how the Romans looked at that. It's as if, you know, marriage is this inconvenience, which I've discussed in another podcast with Dawn, this inconvenience where, you know, yes, you're, you're doing it for to make uh, political arrangements and connections. You're doing it for kind of family you know, yeah, strategies, so on, but, yeah. but not, for, not for love. And so, of course, there's the idea that he's running around and, and why shouldn't he is the notion that they, they convey with that. So she is definitely not shown in a lovely light. The only one really shown in a lovely light is the young girl that uh, the young man fall, the Michael Crawford. Yeah, and she hero she wants him too. You know, he's totally lovesick about her and uh, she wants him too. But then she's slated for the general. So that's part of the, um, you know, the, the zany fun of the film is uh, Phil Silvers is, is trying to orchestrate it so the hero will get her, but uh, he has to deal with this demanding general who uh, takes over his house with his men, and they they quote have a orgy, you know. Um, for uh, yeah, let's let's explain that for the listeners. So what happens is Phil Silvers owns the Bravo. He has sold this young lady to the general. The general's expecting to come and you know take his take ownership, if you can imagine in that sense, of this young lady, whereas the young man hero has fallen for her. True love, unfettered by, um, you know, pecuniary concerns. It's just, okay, I, I love her. And as you say, she, it's, it's a requited love. And so what happens is Zero Mostel has made a deal. Zero Mostel is the slave of this young man, has made a deal. He'll, if he gets him this girl then the young man will free him. And so that's where it all starts. And so you get this thing where Zero Mostel impersonates Phil Silvers, and Phil Silvers impersonates Zero Mostel, and the general shows up expecting to pick up his new bride slash property, and meanwhile, Zero Mostel is pretending to be Phil Silvers and pretending to find reasons that she can't be handed over, like the fact that she's infected with the plague. Yeah, yeah, he says she's got the plague, and then uh, that doesn't pan out. And then uh, he says she's dead, and so this other character pretends to, uh, you know, his name. He, he pretends to be her and puts on a wig and lies yeah, Jack on Jack Gilford's character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, yeah. there's that play that they're dressed up like ladies, even though they look completely like guys, and so you know, 
some of the soldiers still fall in love with them, so that's meant to be funny because it's like, well, they don't even look like pretty, you know, pretty love interests. So isn't you know that's that you got that there. But uh, but you know, did you get did you think about the plague part when you saw? Because I just watched it again recently, and you know, given that we're living in this pandemic, it just yeah, made essentially me think they mentioned the plague. Yeah, yeah. Well, just it's amazing how and then he often, says the, the the plague occurred on Creed, and then somebody yeah. it, it just. The general, somebody I forgot, recently came from Crete and knows there's no plague there. You know. Yeah, yeah, but it just made me think about how often plagues, how often plagues plagued, but on bump. Uh, do I have my little drum thing here? There you go. How often plagues plagued the ancient world? You know, Rome was beset by plagues, major plagues, and yeah. uh, during the empire, the imperial period. Well, so, so was Greece. I mean, they had mm -hmm. several major plagues there, you know. You know, we're very lucky the age we're living in, as horrible, as tough as it's been, you know, we have an understanding of how to deal with it, what they are, what happens, you know, malaria. Well, COVID is the most severe plague we've ever had here in America now. It's over 700,000 deaths and exactly. more, more than that, uh, <clears throat> you know, plague of 1918 or wherever it was, you know. Mm-hmm. But anyhow, well, um, well, I just wanted to say one more thing that the the term malaria comes from ancient Rome in terms of bad, bad. Uh, I believe it's bad air, right? So it's just interesting that again, you know, this thing comes up. Uh, yeah, you know, mal, the first part of the word meaning bad in yes. Latin. Yes, and it's like uh, malpractice, it's, uh, whatever. Uh, bad air, exactly. That's exactly where it comes from. So, bad air, so we yeah. have this place. So we have this setup, and now, how do you get out of it? How and then, does then we have what's almost like a uh, ancillary character is Buster Keaton, you know, very famous silent film actor, and so on, and, mm -hmm. and known known for his physicality and so on. Um, mm -hmm. And um, what was it that he might have contacted the? plague or something so uh zero mostel or phil i think zero mostel tells him he's got to run around the city uh, you know six and, times or something yeah he has all these different ways of uh getting the 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 buster keaton character sort of away but it's it's um it's interesting because then it turns out that the Buster Keaton character, because the whole thing is he's looking for his lost children, right? He's trying to find, um, right. he's he's trying to find his lost children, and you know he's using there's there's a particular um, was it a ring that the, that the kids have uh, that that have the family is that correct? Is that I believe it's the ring? So, yeah, I think so. And then he finds out the general is his son. Not only and 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 here's where the hijinks are. Not only is the general his son, but the young lady that the general has contracted to buy is in fact the general's sister, Buster Keaton's daughter. So resolved, right? We no no longer have to worry that the the blustering, threatening general is going to do harm because he now can't very well marry his own sister. So she's available, and and since she's a freeborn woman, they you know the idea of selling her that's out. So now she's perfectly available for hero Michael Crawford's character, and the general you know finds someone else, and it's 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 you know it gets resolved. Zero Mostel can be freed, um, and 
And again, in typical comedic fashion, we have this ending which leads to marriage, So, uh, which we see in so many of the Shakespeare comedies, the Renaissance comedies, and comedies to this age, the rom-coms, right? Rom-coms yeah. often end in a wedding. I just watched Philadelphia's story, by the way, uh, and uh, with which has also some problematic treatments of gender. But again, it ends with a wedding. So it begins with the idea of a wedding and ends with a wedding. So that, that notion has been transmitted through the millennia from our ancients to today of how to end. Well, we weddings uh, <clears throat> are significant. Uh, one that's been in the news lately is the descendants of the uh, Tsar of Russia, the Romanovs, they just had a wedding mm -hmm. in St. Petersburg, a very elaborate wedding uh, <clears throat> where they held up crowns over their heads and all that, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, very, very prominent wedding there. And uh, Putin didn't stop or anything, but he just said it wasn't his thing, you know, so he wasn't going. They probably were relieved to hear that, you know. Yeah, I don't know that that would necessarily work for an ex-KGB officer, but an ex-Soviet, uh, the, the, the movement which toppled those, uh, that old uh, royal line. But yeah. yeah, so weddings weddings have obviously have always had significance in all cultures. So so what did you, let's, let's just, uh, as we come now, we approach towards the end of this, what did you think of the film overall? What did you like about it? I, I thought it like was it? fun. It was mm -hmm. fun and lighthearted and... At the very end, uh, they show Buster Keaton, you know, running, and then he turns into a cartoon, and then he keeps running through all this fun stuff in the end credits, you know, that's mm -hmm. animated. Um, and uh, I thought Zero Mostel was fantastic. Phil Silvers was good. Uh, everybody basically in the film was good. I mean, I can see it as a musical. Uh, in fact, if they ever do it again, I'd like to see it on stage. But uh, like I said, the way it treats women, unless they deal with it, uh, contemporize it somehow, I'm not sure that would happen. Yeah, uh, contemporize it would be difficult to do, but I think it would be, uh, it, it certainly would still be interesting. I'm sure people would watch it. You'd have to, again, like you say, handle certain issues a little bit differently. But um, I think it, what, what strikes me too is it very much has the feel of its era. You know, this is the mid-60s, mid to late. Yeah. We're going towards the late 60s. So this is 66. So we're about to head, you know, we're, we're already actually heading into the swinging 60s, swinging in London's. And the film, the way it's done, even though it's set in ancient Rome, has almost a psychedelic feel. The colors are so bright. Everything yeah. is really alive and playful. There's even sort of dance sequences that feel like something that would have been in the mid sixties, which this was, uh, you know, something that has the feel of, of life and pop culture of that era. So it definitely has captures the energy of its era while at the same time, still connecting with these older stars like Buster Keaton. Yeah. And I thought it was good that, you know, that was a swan song, but um, uh, it was good to see him again. Yeah, absolutely. So we're how many in our, using our shields uh, rating system, how many shields would you give this one, Gary? Uh, I'd probably give it four. I agree. I would give it four. We, we're pretty much in sync with this. I, I, I you know, I'm going to give it three and a half shields. The I, I would say four. I take the half away just for some of the 
cultural issues, which looking through the modern eye, we have a little bit of. Well, you know, like the issue of of women. I mean, I think that that's why I don't give it a five. Yeah, I'll give it a three and a half shields. Um, uh, So with that, I want to thank Dr. Gary Stickle for taking this tour through a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. We're going to be doing many more of these Hollywood at the movies series uh, programs. So look out for them. There are a lot going to be coming up in the coming weeks. And uh, Gary, thank you very much. Oh, thank you. It's always been fun. And thank you all for listening. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb, and this has been the 34 Cersei Salon, the Parallax Channel. We have been discussing a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Thanks for listening and take care.